Good morning, friends. Uh, my name is Ashley Vendrot, and I, a lot of you look familiar to me. I've spent time here. Um, we have friends in this congregation, but if you don't know me, I am a pastor of a church plant called Church on the Ave that is um, a year and a couple months old. Uh, brand new, we're over in the University District. We meet in a building called Chapel on the Ave, and it's a community that is primarily made up of UW students. Um, it's, it feels rich when we are together, but it's also tender <laughs> because we're brand new. So pray for us. I know that you already have been. Um, my husband and I and another co-pastor, um, we're also pastoring a campus ministry, and that's well-established and a ton of fun. But anyway, I'm glad to be here this morning. Um, we're going to just dive right in to, um, to the beginning couple of verses of the Gospel of John. Um, also, I just want to say, you, you might wonder, why are you here? Um, I am here because um, your pastors and the pastors at Church on the Ave, we're going to do a bit of pulpit swapping in the new year. So you'll get to see all of us, and our little community will get to spend some time with Mark and Sarah. So that should be fun, hopefully. So... On that note, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the, to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet... To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, one of my favorite New York Times journalists is Nicholas Kristof. Anyone else? Okay. He often writes columns about global health, human rights abuses, and social justice issues. Uh, particularly interesting to me is his occasional series on Christianity. 
And it's interesting because he doesn't talk about religion in general, but Christianity specifically. In the New York Times. I kind of love it. Basically, he interviews thoughtful leaders in the faith about our faith. And it's written out as a Q&A style conversation, mostly about doubt, between this thoughtful journalist and seminary presidents and book authors and even past presidents. He once interviewed Jimmy Carter. In these interviews, Kristoff expresses candidly that he doubts the virgin birth, he doubts the miracles, and he doubts that the resurrection actually happened. And yet, there's something about Jesus that he finds rather irresistible, deeply respectable. He hears a hint of reverence in the questions he asks. He's never hostile, he's just really curious. Something about Jesus' ideas and approach to the world, something about Christian people doing radical work in the world, these things combined, and probably more, have heightened his sensitivities toward historical Christianity. He says, I deeply admire Jesus' teaching. At the end of each of these interviews, he always asks the person he's interviewing, do you think I'm a Christian? That's kind of a gripping question. I imagine there's a good weighty pause before those he interviews share their answers. Because what do you actually have to believe to call yourself a Christian? How many doubts and beliefs can you hold on to simultaneously in your brain and still use the title? Do you think I'm a Christian? Are you a Christian? All the time? Honestly. Like they say in the podcast, hold on to that question. We'll come back to it. Uh, so here we are on the second Sunday after Christmas, the first Sunday of the new year. And the lectionary this week has us in the beginning of John's gospel. It's quite literally his where it all begins place. And so it's super fitting for the new year. If you've read any of the other gospels, and I hope you people have, you know that John's take is really different. I think helpful to think of as an analogy, um, I mean, it's more helpful for my own community, uh, but at Church on the Ave, we have three different pastors, and we are all super different. Um, you will see this in the new year. Um, but we all, uh, we all do communion every week, and we all have very different approaches, very different styles to telling the same story. Um, Jeff and Calvin, co-pastors, they stick to a form. One always says, what have you, at some point in the meal. We do, we all laugh. The other uses the form right out of the back of the self hymnal. And I do it differently. In the worship service debrief that happens on Monday mornings with the rest of the staff, after I've led communion, they're always like, well, that was evangelical. And I'm like, great. Um, and I think like, maybe that's what we can say about the prologue to John's gospel. I think he gives us a more evangelical interpretation to how the story all begins. Unlike the other gospels, 
he foregoes tracing Jesus' ancestry to Adam or Abraham, the narrative that says Jesus is one of us with human parents and grandparents and the like. We don't hear about baby Jesus, no description of a manger scene. Instead, John goes the cosmic route. He puts us in the very beginning of time, and he focuses on the supreme dignity and deity that should be ascribed to Jesus. He gives a new title to Jesus. What is it? The Word. The Word. Ho-logos is what he calls him. And it was this particular Greek phrase that, in a really general sense, meant reason. In a more philosophical sense, it meant divine reason or hidden reason. People think that John wanted his readers to hear in this new title a reference to all the times the phrase, the word of the Lord, got used in the Old Testament. Do you know how many times that was? A lot. But maybe even more than that, he wanted his Greek-speaking audience to hear that in the Incarnation, God's divine reason came into the world in the flesh. This weighty, significant, otherworldly truth. Nothing ordinary or babyish about it. And interesting to know is that scholars think that John's unique way of telling this story, and it is unique, is for a reason. John's gospel was written last, well after the other three gospels. And so probably they think that he was writing to respond to the translation and interpretation issues that were already popping up in the church. So apparently, in the early church, there was already this overemphasis on Jesus' humanity, such that there was this kind of weak sauce theology developing, theology that downplayed or entirely denied Jesus' divinity. So Jesus was a good human, a leader that you might want to follow, but not the God you laid down your life for, and not necessarily the God who laid down his life for you. So back to Christoph and that series on Christianity. Most recently published in the New York Times was an interview between him and Philip Yancey. Who is Philip Yancey? He is an author. Um, if you are like in your 30s or even 20s and you grew up with Christian parents, probably at least one of Yancey's books is on your parents' bookshelf. Because um, he was to the church in the 90s what Tim Keller is to the church today. But just way better books. <laughs> so funny because Tim Keller has no books. Okay. Anyway, the first interview question goes like this. Christoph says, Merry Christmas. And let me start by asking about that first Christmas. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Doesn't that seem like one of those tall tales that people tell to exaggerate an event's significance? Interestingly, Yancey answers in the the word became flesh and dwelt among us style of John. He doesn't defend the virgin birth. He broadens the conversation. He goes way back in time. He says, in the incarnation, God's own self came to earth as human. 
I wouldn't pretend to guess how divinity interacted with human DNA. He says, nowadays, with in vitro fertilization, virgin births are old news. For me, the issue centers not on the mechanics of reproduction, but rather the nature of the egg. Let's go back to the question that I asked. How many doubts and beliefs can you hold on to simultaneously and still play in the puddle? Are you a Christian? I think that to answer yes to that question, the truth is you do have to have some convictions about the nature of Jesus. Call it a prologue to the fourth gospel or a rebuttal to the early church, whatever you name it, John's gospel seems to suggest in no uncertain terms that conviction about the full deity of Jesus matters. And when we read all the gospel stories together, his gospel really does seem to say again and again, people, don't misinterpret who Jesus is. That baby that we saw in the manger, that man who spoke that radical sermon on the mount, that one who actually lived to love his neighbor, that is the very word of God come in the flesh. Believe it. There is um, an interesting something more here in this prologue, and I think it's almost relevant. In addition to saying that Jesus' divinity matters, John writes, the word was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own did not recognize him. His own didn't receive him. What does that mean? Because it seems to me that John is saying that the title-holding folks didn't see Jesus in the world. Right? The ones who would answer, no, you're not, but yes, I am, to the question, are you a Christian, somehow missed him or misinterpret him. Christoph never comes right out and says it, but when you read his whole occasional series on Christianity, and even his other columns, what you hear is this other significant doubt. He doubts that most Christians actually believe what they say they believe. He points to our hypocrisy or lack, like we've missed something. I was reminded of this just the other day when the Roots staff, Roots is the homeless shelter that's right behind Chapel on the Ave, and our church has a partnership with it. The Roots staff were in our building for their holiday party. I always introduce myself as a pastor, and usually there are questions that follow that statement. But on that particular night, there were these really pointed questions, questions about what I believed. And everyone was so, so gracious. Uh, but I could tell that they were also really skeptical. And I realized that nothing I said about what I believed was going to change what they thought. Because maybe, maybe they've missed the times that Jesus has shown up to them, but they certainly haven't missed the times when Christians they know or don't know 
for being idiots or bigots or racists or just plain old greedy, uninspiring people. What do you actually have to believe to call yourself a Christian? How many doubts and beliefs can you hold on to simultaneously in your brain and still use the title? Are you a Christian? So the honest truth is, I don't actually think that's that important of a question, especially in a setting like this. I think here are some vastly more interesting ones. How has what you say you believe changed you? How have you been changed because of what you say you believe? And what do you believe? Do you think the nature of Jesus matters? Is Jesus a good guy? leader, a formidable life coach? Or is he God omnipotent come down to lift the whole mess of it up? And if you honestly can't answer that last question, then I think you might have, in the words of John, missed him or misinterpreted him. Or you haven't given enough weight to him. Or maybe you haven't taken the time to ask yourself the questions that need asking. I know that I am focusing a lot on questions. Um, And it might be frustrating because we are not in a small group setting and we don't get a chance to respond. Um, I know that when I was speaking last night, people were getting frustrated. I suspect that you all know that faith, belief in the things that we can't see, is more than just a merely intellectual exercise. We know that it's never as simple as a yes or no answer. Something about these things that we say we believe is supposed to seep into our bones and change us. And that change is a part of our answer to all the questions, right? My kids, you saw them, the two little blonde boys who never stop moving. Um, They're learning a second language. For six hours a day, the adults at their preschool only speak Spanish. And my kids are just picking it up. Their holiday program featured this song, La Bamba. It was cute Um, and wonderful. The kids were singing it dancing with it. Baila, baila, la bamba. I just sang for you. This is exciting. Um, I was fascinated as I was watching them because my super duper white boys were shaking their hips in a way that I can only describe as having this Latin flair. And if you ask my oldest son, like, Elias, what does that song mean? He can't answer Instead, he just starts moving. And this is about right, because there isn't a direct English translation for La Bamba. It's presumably connected with the Spanish verb bambolear, which means to shake or maybe stomp, but really the word is just moving. But if you could have seen my kid and all the rest,
rest of the kids up there dancing to this song. It would have been so easy to tell that it had meaning to them. It changed the way they moved. Are you a Christian? Am I a Christian? When Christoph asks a question, Nancy turns it back around on him. She says, I would rephrase the question and pass it back to you. Are you a Jesus follower? And when I read that, I thought, oh man, he punted. Because it's the way Les Griffin puts things. You can follow Jesus, whoever you say Jesus is. Everyone can follow some version of human Jesus sometime. But not the divine Jesus. Right? That's different. It's much harder to translate. It's also the Jesus that's easier to miss. Much easier to reject. Much harder to follow. But belief in that Jesus changes the way we move in the world. Such that if we really see him, really believe in him, people probably aren't having to ask, are you a Christian? Or even, what do you believe? Because they'll see it in the way that we are. Friends, it is a new year. And once again, we find ourselves at the beginning. And what that means to me is that we get another chance at interpreting what it means that God's word came to earth for our lives. We get another chance to really feel the weighty truth that the divine came down, that Jesus walked among us to save us, to show us how to live these huge, magnanimous, give it all away for others, love the least, be the servant lives. Each day, we get this opportunity to respond in ways that show that we understand. We're always getting chances to recognize Jesus for who he really is. None of this is easy. Jesus knew that. Toward the very end of his earthly ministry, he prayed for folks like us, the ones who say, yeah, we're Christians, but we've got our doubts, and also it's okay. Jesus prayed, and this is where we're going to end. This is from John 17. Jesus says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me.
Okay, so friends, La Bamba is that meaningless song that makes kids move. I have one of these songs, too. Um, it's Send Me On My Way by Rusted Root. I am not going to sing it for you. But when you put that song on, it just starts moving. Um, it, too, includes unintelligible words. Uh, when I looked at the lyrics this past week, one of the unintelligible words is spelled capital O, capital O, M-B-A-Y-S-E-E-Y-O-U, Umba Seyu. Totally meaningless. But seriously, try not to dance. Okay. Um, Joey is not here this morning. Uh, Uncle Joey is what my husband and I call him because he spent a lot of time with our kids. Also, a lot of people at Kirkham Ave know him just as Uncle Joey, which is a little strange. Um, anyway, his song, and he can't even defend it because he's not here, um, it's a Beatles song, Obla Dee, Obla Da. I have seen him move his weird body to that. <laughs> um, and I know that he does it a lot because my kids sing it and we never sing it. Um, I'm sure that you have these songs too. These, you know, unintelligible, hard to translate what it means, but it makes you move songs. I think a lot of things make us move, right? A good beat. Um, what we believe does make us move. Ritual makes us move. Our whole body, our whole community, once a week, does this little dance when we come around the table and we remember. I think it's like the only choreographed dance that we all know. And maybe it's not so much that we move to the meal as much as it is that the meal moves us. Because on the night the very divine word of God was betrayed, that word, Jesus incarnate, broke bread with his friends, the folks who were supposed to understand him best. But somewhere along the way, they missed him, or they misinterpreted him, or maybe they were always doing this. One of them gave up his whereabouts for some quick cash, not even enough to buy them all a nice meal, but that didn't matter, because on that night, Jesus had already fed them dinner and more. He promised to sustain them until the very end. And he did this knowing all the while that they, his friends, the ones who said they believed in him, he knew that they were never going to move in the right direction, that direction being closer toward him. They were going to run in the opposite direction and then run right on back needing forgiveness, and that embrace that is reserved for the prodigals always. Right? He knew that that would be their dance all the time. And yet, Jesus broke bread for them. He broke bread for them anyway. And he poured out wine for them. He did it anyway. And he said, when you do this, remember me. Remember that my body, like bread, will break for you. Remember that my blood, like wine, will shed for you. So that no matter how far you run, no matter what direction you move, no matter what you say you believe, I have the last word. And that last word, of course, is one of grace. And that's another point in John's prologue, what 
most characterizes this divine word come to earth? According to John, it's grace. Kind of surprisingly, we don't read a lot about grace in the Gospels in any of them, except for here in the prologue that we read. It litters this prologue. And so the message seems to be, Jesus is divine. You'll miss him, but he's full of grace. From him we receive grace upon grace upon grace, is one translation. Or grace in place of grace, or simply grace, grace, grace. You could try to translate it all, and you just might find yourself moving closer into Christ, to one another, and around this table. Friends, let's pray. God, in our lives, we want to get this dance right. Move in us, we pray. Move through us. Remind us of your love and your grace. Meet us here at this table. Fill us here at this table so that we can go out into the world and remind the whole messy place of your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.